good to see all of you. I see you've dug out from this weekend, right? Not, not so sure. <laughs> if you have your Bible, would you take it and turn with me to the book of Romans, the passage that Dave read for us, Romans chapter 12. Um, I have to tell you, as you're turning there, I'm a little intimidated uh, by Pastor Phillips over the past couple of weeks. He's been doing a really good job at letting you out on time and early. Not so much this week, no. no. You're done. Should have read the paper and saw who was preaching. Um, as you turn to Romans, let me ask you this question. Um, have you ever asked somebody the wrong question? Where, I mean, like as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you wish you could grab it and, you know, not have said that? Have you ever um, approached someone or a friend and said, hey, good to see you, haven't seen you in a while. Hey, when's the baby due? <laughs> yeah, not pregnant. <laughs> have you ever, uh, um, have you ever uh, said to some, I, I did this once, and maybe you've been on Facebook and you've been chatting with a friend and you just kind of just say, hey, how's the engagement going? Yeah, they broke up. Oops. Didn't know that one. Or maybe maybe you were, uh, guys, maybe you can uh, relate with this one. Maybe you've been waiting to get ready um, to go out on a date with your wife, and she asks, does this make me look fat? I mean, what do you, how do you even win that conversation? You know, there are just some times when, when we ask the wrong question. A friend of mine in another church that we were in, a friend of mine said to this, this uh, uh, older lady in, our, in the church, she, she said, your hair today just looks great. What did you do? How did you change it up? What, were you, what have you been doing with it? How did you style it today? And the lady just looks at my friend and says, it's a wig. <laughs> Without missing a beat. Well, it looks very nice. Sometimes we ask the wrong questions in life and... Uh, I think sometimes we ask the wrong question when it comes to worship. This morning has been all about the theme of worship. And I think sometimes um, we ask the wrong questions when we come to worship. We may agree with the video that was up there. We may say, amen, all of that's true. That's the kind of worship I, worshiper I want to be. That's the kind of life I want to live. It's all about God. It's all about Him. It's all about bringing ourselves. It's all about that. But the reality is there are times in our lives and maybe even seasons in our lives where we ask, although we may want to believe that, that we believe in our own hearts, though, and we're living by asking the wrong questions. I know that's true for me. Uh, it's been true in my life where we, I look at worship and, and I'm tempted to ask the wrong question. I'll ask questions like, so what did you think? How did it go? Who was speaking? How was the message? Did he get out on time or did he, you know? How many people were there on Sunday? Did you like the songs? Did you like the music? Was it too loud? Do they have drums at that church? Sometimes we ask the wrong questions. Sometimes we're, we're looking at the wrong set of values. Sometimes we have misinformation. Sometimes we don't realize what we're saying. Or sometimes we come at worship with, with a completely different perspective. 
And I think there are moments and there are times when those kind of questions are appropriate, mostly uh, probably for staff as they sit in an office on a Monday evaluating, asking technical kind of questions. But when it deals with the heart, those are the wrong questions. And I've been guilty of that myself. And I've been challenged lately to really reconsider my perspective on worship and adjust my own attitude. And come, and I've come to the conclusion that worship is not about what I get. Worship is about what I offer. And so the, the, the question is, what am I offering God when I come to worship? A lot of us come to worship with an attitude of what am I going to get? What am I going to get from the song? What am I going to get from the music? What am I going to get from the, from the pastor? What am I going to get from my Sunday school class? What, am I, what are my kids going to get in their class? What am I going to get from the video? Are all the slides right? Is the person pushing the button right? Does the sound guy have the mute, unmuted at the right time? What am I going to get out of worship? And I think it's the wrong question. The question is, what am I going to bring? What am I going to offer? What do I have in my heart and in my soul and in my spirit to offer in worship? Because worship is about what I offer, not what about, not about what I receive. In Revelation chapter 4, we're not going to reread that passage. It's, it's quite lengthy, but think back, reflect back on what Pastor Dave read and, and read it later today as well. Revelation chapter 4, there's this vivid image, this intense image, image of what worship looks like in heaven. It's quite a picture, one that's that's almost unimaginable, I would think, for John to write as he sits on the island of Patmos and, and gets this inspiration to write these words, this vision, this revelation from God. Almost, I would have to think, almost unimaginable, this picture. And in a sense, it's beyond beyond comprehension. Who here can, can comprehend well what worship looks like in heaven? But if we peel back the word pictures, if we peel back the imagery, if we don't turn our attention at this moment to the, the beauty and the word pictures that describe what's going on, if we peel all of that back, we would understand this one thing, that worship in heaven is centered around the throne of God. That's the perspective. When you pull all of that imagery back, when you look beyond those pictures, all of the creatures, all of the elders who sat on their own thrones were encircling one center throne. All creatures, all being, all elders focused directly centered on Christ, on God who is at the center. All living things put their attention and their focus on the worship of God. That is the perspective of worship. And in practice, as they worshiped God, they did so with absolutely no regard to who they are or what they had to bring. There was absolutely no regard to their position. There was no regard to their authority. There was no regard to who they were. Some of these people in this, in this image of, of heaven were on thrones themselves. Some of these had, had crowns themselves on their own heads. And in their practice of worship, there was absolutely no regard for who they were. 
as we read through Revelation 4, they laid themselves before God. They took the throne, the, the crown off of their own head, laid it before God in humility and sacrifice and said, it's not about me. I understand the perspective. It's all about God. It's all about Him. And regardless of whatever position I may hold, whatever authority I may have, when it comes to worshiping the King, I'm nothing. I am nothing. I am empty. I lay myself before Him. Whatever would may have been given to me, I give back to God. And the practice of worship is filled with humility. The posture of worship is filled with falling down before and surrendering my own position. Surrendering whatever I believe. There is no room for pride. There is no room for arrogance in worship. Once we realize that the center of worship is the King, once we realize that the center of worship is God, then we realize that who we are is meaningless before Him. Instead of exalting their own positions, these these characters who were in this audience before God, laid themselves before Him. They understood the perspective. And it influenced their practice. Now with that as the backdrop of what we want to talk about this morning, look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He writes to the Christians in Rome, and he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is worship. Paul indicates that this is spiritual worship. The word here, spiritual, can also be be taken to mean that which is logical or that which is reasonable. And in fact, some of you may have a, a Bible version with you this morning that says that. This is your reasonable act of worship. Spiritual, reasonable, logical. The idea is that worship, when it's, when it's centered in the right place, when, it's, when the perspective is, is clear, then how we react is spiritual, is logical, and it's reasonable. Paul's urging about worship is fully God-centered. He says, in view of God's mercy, in view of what God has done for us, Paul has taken 11 chapters writing to his friends and the Christians in Rome. For 11 chapters, he's been telling the Romans about who God is, about who Christ is, and how Christ is the perfect sacrificial atonement. Christ is the one who offers forgiveness. Christ is the one that we put our hope and our faith and our trust in. Christ is the one who forgives our sin. Christ is the gift of God for us. For 11 chapters, Paul's been saying that. And he says, therefore, I urge you, I beg you, with this perspective, in view of God's mercy, 
in view of Christ and what He's done for you and what He offers to you and what He brings to you, in view of that, Paul sets the perspective. In view of that, he says, offer your bodies. Offer your bodies in worship. You see, once we realize it's all about Him, and it's not about us, we realize that perspective drives practice. Perspective drives practice. Paul has to get our heads screwed on straight first. In view of God's mercy, perspective, now offer your body in worship as a sacrifice. One that is living and one that is holy and one that is pleasing. He encourages the Romans to offer their bodies to God. In the original language, the idea here is when someone would offer their whole self, their whole life. Paul is urging the Romans and urging us today to offer our whole life to God. All of who we are. We are to give to God in worship because this is what is logical. This is reasonable worship. When we understand in view of God's mercy, when we understand what God has done for us through Christ, it is reasonable that we would offer back to God all of who we are. Every single part of our lives, every area Every nook and cranny of our being should be offered back to God as logical, reasonable worship. I offer my body as a sacrifice. One of the scholars, Cranfield, actually writes that a better sentence structure here is that we would offer our bodies as a sacrifice, one that is, that is living, holy, and pleasing. And so the encouragement from the very beginning by Paul, is to give all of yourself to God. Every single area of your life, give it to God. Every single facet, every single fiber of your being, give it to God. This is logical worship. And so in practice, We are to give ourselves. Author and pastor John Ortberg once wrote that God is not concerned about your spiritual life. God's not concerned about your spiritual life. God's concerned about your life. All of it. Every single area of your life. God is concerned about. And that is what God asks you to bring back to Him in worship. This is what God asks you to offer to Him. This is what's reasonable. In view of what Christ has done, it's reasonable that I would now give all of myself to Him. I would give every single area of my life back to Him. Every aspect. Not parts of my life. Many of us would, would say, you know, I'm, I'm all good with what Christ did for me. I'm all good with, you know, the dying on the cross, the resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, I believe that and I embrace that. And I worship God. I come to church every Sunday. I sit in here. I sing the songs. 
I read the word. I listen to the pastor who's probably going to go too long today. And I go to Sunday school class. And I get my kids involved in Upward or the children's group. And, you know, I do that. And so, God, you can have you can have every area of my life. Except TV. God, I'm willing to give you every area of my life except the computer after 10 o'clock. God, I'm, I'm willing to give you every single part of me. Every part of me. But you know what? I've worked really, really hard to get where I'm at in my job. You can't have my job. I am who I am in my job because I've worked my tail off to attain that position. So I'll come and worship. I'll sing the songs. I'll read the book. I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll, I'll be here. But you can't have this. You can't have this relationship. Because this relationship is very important to me. So I'll give you everything except these things. Here Paul makes it clear that the demand from God is not about destruction. He doesn't want to destroy your life. He wants to enhance your life. And if we're going to hold back, if we're going to reserve something from Him, then we will miss what God wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. Think it through. The perspective is this. In view of God's mercy, what Christ has done for me, how will I respond? I respond by offering back to Him everything. Every area of my life. I surrender to Him in humility. This is why it's a sacrifice. This is where the hard work comes. It's not easy. It's not easy to give these things over. It's not easy to give these things up when I know it inhibits my worship of God. But God says it's reasonable. And I would bet, I would venture to, to, to bet that God whispers in our ear and says, isn't this logical? Doesn't this just make sense? After everything that I've done for you, doesn't it make sense that you would sacrifice your whole life, your whole being to me in worship? And not sacrifice ourselves in a way that, as the Romans would understand it, is, is dead and dying. See, in that culture and in that, that time, sacrifices were brought to the temple. They were alive when they, were, they came to the temple and then they were slaughtered so that uh, people could, could find forgiveness of sins and atonement could be made. That's the practice of that culture in that day. But if you remember what Jesus did, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate atonement for our sins. When He died on the cross, when He offered Himself up to God in humility and sacrifice, offering all of Himself for all of us, When he did that, the other sacrifices were now not needed. We still come to worship, 
But we don't bring with us um, animal sacrifices that are slaughtered for our, for our atonement. Atonement is found in Christ. So when we come to worship, Paul says, I want you to offer your body but not in a way where it will be slaughtered and killed. I want you to offer your body in a way that's alive, that's living. Your sacrifice is to be full of life. Your sacrifice is to be full on. All of you, every aspect, every fiber, in a way that is full of energy, in a way that is full of life, in a way that is vibrant, in a way that is searching in a way that is seeking after God, in a way that is fully alive unto Him. This is reasonable. This is how we come to God. This is how we worship Him. God wants you living and breathing. He wants you full of life and full of energy in your offering to Him. I mean, what is God going to do with a dead sacrifice? Right? What's he going to do with a dead sacrifice? But so often, if we were honest, we come to worship God and we are dead on arrival. We come to worship God and we offer Him the worst of us. We are dead, we are dry, and these are the areas you can have. God, I want to worship you, but this is what you get. I'm not going to be engaged. I'm not going to be full on. I mean, come on, right? Sunday, one hour. You got it, okay? I'm here. This is what you get. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to sit and I'm going to sing and I'm going to participate, but that's what you get. Isn't that our attitude at times? That we just give God that. Not really fully alive, not full of life, not full of energy, just kind of present. Just kind of here. God wants you engaged. God wants you fully alive in Him, in your worship to Him. But we say, God, this is what you get. You know, I'll show up, and you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll hand out a, a worship folder in the back. Maybe. Maybe, if, if I'm really stretched out of my comfort zone, maybe I'll take that offering plate and I'll walk down the aisle and I'll, I'll participate in worship. Maybe, maybe I'll go to one of those Sunday school classes and participate. Well, not even that. I'll attend. I don't know that I'll actually answer a question. I'm just going to show up. And that's once I've walked by the room to make sure they have donuts. Because if there's no donuts, then, you know, there's no real connection. Because I just want to go and I, I, I want to go and I just want to sit there. I don't want to engage. I don't want to be full on. I don't want to give myself. I don't want to sacrifice my comfort. I don't want to sacrifice my time in worship doing something that God may seem see as logical and reasonable. I don't want to do that. I just want to show up. Maybe. Maybe I'll go to that men's conference on March 20th here at the church from 9 to 2. That's a plug for the... Maybe I'll do that. But I'm not really going to fully engage. I'm not going to be full on. Because isn't worship just like a Sunday thing? Isn't it just from 10.30 to noon? 
You see, we've done a, a really good job at relegating worship in our minds to one hour a week. That's what worship is. Worship is I come on Sunday one hour a week. And if you're like really like super spiritual, you come for Sunday school. So you're here like two hours. And then for some of us, for some of us, it's not even really the full hour. It's like 15 or 20 minutes because worship is really just the music. It's just the instruments. It's just the choir. It's just the songs. So really, that that's worship. When the guy stands up to talk for way too long, that's not really worship. That's worship. So now we've relegated worship to 15 to 20 minutes a week. And that's if we stay awake. Because I see you. (laughs) That's if we're awake. That's if we're engaged. So my worship experience is now relegated to 15 to 20 minutes a week. Maybe an hour if we're like an outside-the-box thinker. Maybe an hour... If I'm awake, then I'm engaged in worship. But I would venture to guess that many of us, even when we come with that attitude, we don't worship. You know why? Because they played that song I don't like. That choir sang and they were just way too loud. The drums, come on. Do we really need drums? The pastor didn't even wear a suit. That's not real worship. So for 15 or 20 minutes, maybe an hour, we sit in this room collectively, and this is what's going through our minds. I don't like the music. It's way too loud. I don't like this song. This music isn't my style. The pastor didn't even wear a suit. And there's this light right over here that just flickers all the time. And it really drives me nuts. And sometimes it's these lights back here. They flicker and it And so I'm worried about the light. I'm worried, you know, is the roof going to fall in? I don't know what's going on. All I know is this. I'm here. This is my day to worship. And you've ruined it because I don't like your message and I don't like your song and I don't like the environment. See, we're all worried about this stuff. And the scriptures are clear. The perspective of worship is God-centered. It's all about Him. It's all about who He is. You see, when it's all about this stuff, we're asking the wrong question. But when it's God-centered, we're asking the question, what am I bringing to God? I know the light's going to flicker. What do I bring to God in the midst of that? There are days when I'm fully engaged. Those songs are so right on to where I'm at. What am I bringing to God? There are days when it feels flat and dead. What am I bringing to God? It's not about this stuff. It's about our hearts. Imagine what God would do with someone whose perspective is on Him and their practice is bringing their entire living life to be offered to God in worship as our logical response for what Christ has done in our lives. What would God do with us? What would God do if I woke up every single day and thought about how awesome it was for God to pour out His mercy on me 
and we look at our schedules and we look at our lives and we say every single moment of every single day, how will I offer back to God a, a, a myself and my life in worship that is reasonable, that is a logical response to what God has done for me? How would that change the way we worship every day? I think it would change the way we love our spouse. If we fully engaged in worship with God and gave God all of our, our lives and said, you can have all of me, I offer all of myself to you. How can I worship you in my life today? If that was our attitude, if that was our perspective, I think we would love our spouse better. I think we would learn how to serve the poor better. I think it would change how we learn to put up with each other. The scriptures call it bear with one another and support each other. I think, I think living a life of, of offering God all of who I am full on every day as best I can would change how we handle conflict. I think it would change how we view the importance of our own lives. You know, when we're jobless, or we're homeless, or we are relationshipless. There are moments where we can feel defeated and useless. But if we understand that as I worship, I give God all of myself, every single part of who I am honors Him. He breathes meaning into our lives. He breathes hope. I think it would change how we respond to hurtful words or challenging situations and I think it would change how we view relationships let's move back inside the building because for a lot of us we, we really struggle with divorcing worship from this moment worship really is every moment every day asking the question what do I offer God but let's look inside this room for a minute this worship hour that we come together and collectively honor God. How would, how would our worship in this room change if we were full on with God, giving all of ourselves, every part of our life, and we were full on? I think it would change how we express our worship to God. I think that choirs would feel more freedom to sing at full voice, full on, and lift their hearts to God. I've been in, in some churches where literally the choir is scared stiff by previous leadership. Do not move. Do not ever move when you worship, when you sing. I am offering myself full on to God. Praise God. I wonder if they'd have a little more freedom to sing at full voice and to sway with the music because God has done such a wonderful thing. And this is their act of worship, which is reasonable. It's logical. This makes sense. It makes sense that I'm moved. And I give this back to God. I think that instrumentalists would feel the freedom to express worship with the instrument that they've been given. I, I can't do anything over here. I stay on this side of the platform. These people are so gifted, and some of you are so gifted musically with instruments. You have an opportunity to offer something back to God in worship that is reasonable, that is logical. 
It is reasonable that I would be, I would give myself, I would give my ability, my talent to back to God in, in this instrument. And as I play it, I will play it full on with all of who I am. What would happen if we did that? If all of us took a look at what our gifts were and what our passions were and what our natural talents were, what, what, with, what makes us pound the table every single day and say, you know what, I'm going to offer that to God as an act of worship and see what God would do with it. Imagine the lives that you could touch. Imagine the people that you could invest in because you are just being who God created you to be and you're offering it up to Him full on. I think people would be, would feel free to raise their hands as an expression of worship and not feel inhibited. I think people, I think people who look at people with their nose turned down and their eyebrow raised when they raise their hands in worship would be challenged to say it's not about me. It's not about what I want to see in a worship service. It's not about what I feel. It's about God. And if God is being honored and praised, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with how you express your heart to God. I think people would just have freedom to worship. Ravi Zacharias, a noted scholar, comments that we cannot worship without emotion. He notes not emotionalism, but emotion. Because the bond of love between God and us is stirred within us when the music is played and the songs are sung, reminding us of God's love for us, Christ's sacrifice for us. The music and the words and the scriptures and the challenge and the environment stirs within us. It resonates within us what God has done for us in view of God's mercy I worship God and it stirs within me. And my natural, logical, reasonable response to worship is to do so with emotion. How come it's okay when we're sitting across the table with a friend sharing what God has done for us in our lives and we begin to weep or we begin to cry or we begin to get excited because of what God has done. But as soon as we walk inside of four walls and shut the doors, we have to be stiff and stale. God has created you with emotion. God has done something wonderful in your heart and in your life. And we are people who respond to God in worship with emotion. That's logical, isn't it? Isn't that reasonable? We're not driving our time by emotion, but when we touch the depths of people, Call me crazy. But that's reasonable that we would respond with emotion. When our friends are baptized, how many of you cry? Seriously, how many? I, why? Because it resonates in your heart, doesn't it? And you worship. And it's okay. reasonable. It's logical. It's the right response. 
Our sacrifice to God is to be from our entire being, our body, all of who we are, living full on, full on, giving our best to God, giving everything to Him with energy and vitality and touched with emotion. Our offering to God is to be holy as well. It's to be set apart. It's not to be common. It's to be set apart from other things and unto God. That's reasonable. It's reasonable that when I understand what Christ has done for me, it's logical that my life should be holy. Not because I'm better than you or not because I'm better than somebody else, but think about it It, with the perspective in view of what God has done. Would I not offer him myself in a way that ensures that I am holy, that I am righteous, that I'm striving to be like him? It's reasonable. And he asks us, to not only be living and holy, but He asks us to offer ourselves in a way that's pleasing to Him. Leon Morris writes that our life should be a proper sacrifice, one which is desired by God and that He will accept. Full of energy, full of life, full of vitality, living and breathing and active and holy and pleasing. It just makes sense, doesn't it? But if we miss this, if we miss this understanding of worship, I think we'll miss what God truly desires from each of us. God wants our lives, all of it, each and every day. I think this is why we feel like we miss God from time to time. Because we're not offering Him all of ourselves. We're not giving Him everything. And we're certainly not approaching worship with a, with a sense of energy and vitality, but a sense of duty. I think that's why we miss God. I think that's why we think our lives are empty or powerless, dry or barren or pointless and directionless. We approach worship with a consumer mentality. What can I get? Okay, I'm giving you an hour. What am I going to get? What am I going to get, God? What can I hold on to? What can I put in my pocket? What can I walk away from this building with? We approach worship with a consumer mentality. And God says it's not about that at all. It's about your whole life. And what do you offer Him? Romans 12.1 is about both perspective and practice. Perspective drives practice. For some of us, we need to stop coming to church with that consumer mentality. For some of us, we need to refocus our attention. And when we wake up each day, instead of thinking through a list of tasks that await us, perhaps we need to begin each day offering it to God and asking Him to be honored, to be worshipped through our relationships, through our attitudes, through our conversations, and through our choices. Some of us need to engage with God with life and vitality full on. Stop giving Him the dead parts. Give Him the best. Now imagine what God would do with us and through us if we gave Him all of our lives full of life, full of energy. Imagine how we'd love our neighbor how we'd serve the poor, how we'd help the hopeless, 
how we would aid the suffering. Imagine how if we lived life full on in worship to God, giving Him everything, how we would work with diligence. How we would lead with certainty. How we would live with integrity. How we would forgive the offender. Imagine how we would set the tone. Imagine how we would set a pace. Imagine how we would inspire others and connect with God. What would happen if we realized that our logical response to God's mercy is giving Him all of who we are, full of life, holy and pleasing? Imagine if we would come to worship and we would ask the right questions. Let's pray. Father, you have asked us to give all of ourselves to you. You've asked us to live life in an attitude of worship that is full on giving you the best of who we are, giving, giving our, ourselves to you with life and energy and excitement in a way that is holy and pleasing. And I pray now that we would be encouraged to do that, that you would give us the courage to live that way. Full on. Thank you for this word. It's in Christ's name we pray.